Hi there, I'm Dan from Casting Views, and you're listening to Josh Scar and Friends on Talking Smack. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Talking Smack, where we talk superheroes, movies, animation, and comics. I am your host, Josh Scar, and joining me this week is a very special guest. No, Ricky is not back. This time, we have my best friend from across the sea. We've never met in person. He is one of my favorite people, Joey Fitzgerald from the Video Game Club. Joey, welcome back to the podcast. Oh, that's really kind of you. I was trying to throw you off by putting my name as Joey Lasso in the uh, in, in Zencaster. <laughs> but well done. Um, yeah, you're my favorite person from across the sea too, Josh. Yeah, suck it, Slade. Yeah, eat it, Slade. <laughs> <laughs> so how are you doing, Josh? I'm doing well. I, uh, I'm, I'm getting over a cold that my family has been passing around, but overall I'm doing pretty well. Thankfully, it was not COVID again. But yeah, just enjoying life. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm not bad at all. I am on the eve of my son's first birthday, so it feels like a very good time to be launching Dad Pod, <laughs> which we've been talking about for a long time. But it's uh, yeah, it feels it feels pretty good. Yeah. So for anyone who's not understanding this, uh, whenever Joey is on the podcast, this is going to be hashtag Dad Pod. Uh, it's going to be <laughs> a, an internal spinoff where we get to talk just being nerd dads and whatever nerdy things we want to talk about, which this week it's going to be Ted Lasso, but we've got a few things to talk about here. I heard Joey, you brought a gift again this week. I did. And it's something I said when, when I first did it that I would never do again. And I think because of the amount of times it's been played on this show, the fact that we have done the uncharted pod, this is technically my fourth appearance on talking smack. So I feel like one of the rotating, um, rotating hosts now um so i'll, I'll take that royalty <laughs> check whenever it comes in Gosh, that's, uh, when we start getting okay. them you'll, you'll definitely get one sweet well that's more of a result than i thought i'd get coming out of that but uh, so i've i've <laughs> i am nothing if not generous it, well yeah it's, it's not something i normally do and i don't know why i've started doing it because every time i go on a pod or someone comes on our pod i tend to i started writing them a poem um and I did this for you, Josh. Uh, and I said to you before, do you want me to write another poem? And you said, eh, if you want to. So here I am coming at you with another poem. And um, this one doesn't have a name. My last one was called An Ode to Talking Smack. But I guess this is sort of like an ode to Ted Lasso. Um, so just, it does contain some spoilers. So um, spoilers ahead for Ted Lasso. I'm back on smack for a take two. Here to talk about Ted Lasso. I know it's pronounced Lasso, but I needed a rhyme. It's only line two. This could turn out to be a waste of time. I'm flattered to be invited back onto Talking Smack. I'm frankly amazed Josh asked me back. He must have bloody loved having VGC. So much so that he only invited me. But hashtag DadPod finally starts with a show that is close to mine and Josh's heart. Because football is life, screams Danny Rojas. And will Jamie Tart ever make the pass? Oil was spilled by the parent of Dubai Air, sparking a protest from Abisanya. 
Hopefully this all goes well and doesn't end in a ruck or I'll just leave like Roy and scream, fuck. So sit back, <laughs> smackheads, and let me tell you, this episode contains spoilers for Ted Lasso. There you go. There's my poem, take two. Wonderful. Absolutely <laughs> perfect. <laughs> that was a good Roy Kent, too. Uh, well, it's, I have to be fairly quiet because Jack is asleep. Um, so I, I can't go full Roy Kent, but he is... Um, <laughs> He's definitely something to aspire to, is Roy Ken. Oh, yes, in more ways than one. Uh, but we're <laughs> going to take a quick break and hear from Joey's podcast, The Video Game Club, and we'll be right back. Join me, Slade, and my two co-hosts, Joey and Tim, over at The Video Game Club, where once every two weeks, we review a video game, not too dissimilar to a book club. Podcast. You, you can. <laughs> <laughs> you can find us at the Video Game Club on all good podcast uh, providers and some sketchy ones as well. Wow, they sounded handsome. <laughs> <laughs> And we're back. Did I catch you off guard there, Josh? A little bit. <laughs> I wasn't quite ready to be back, but then you just went with it. So it's like, okay, I guess we're back. Sorry, I won't interrupt you again. <laughs> it's fine. It's going to happen, especially since we don't have cameras on for this one. Yeah, Josh, can you just explain why we don't have cameras? Because I'm, I'm amazed at your bravery. <laughs> I am... Uh, recording this episode through hotel Wi-Fi, I brought my I brought my Mac Mini into the hotel, and uh, I'm in Dallas, Texas, when we're recording this for the Pod Movement Podcast Movement uh, Convention, and I decided that I would have some free time, so I'm trying to pound out as many podcast episodes as I can while I'm here because I'm going to be on the road for two weeks in mid September, so uh, just trying to get some stuff done and be proactive hopefully the hotel wi-fi doesn't crap out since it is thunderstorming outside and hopefully you don't hear too much rain or thunder well i had to shut my window before we started recording i thought it's nice and quiet where i live um so i'll be okay with the window open and then just before we started recording a flock of geese flew over my house and just made the worst noise possible and i thought i this is i not, heard them this is not <laughs> this is not professional enough for talking smack <laughs> yeah when you were still on mute i i heard them so i was, I was like i hear geese where where am i getting gonna, where am i going to be attacked from yeah i actually live in uh, england canada so um there's geese everywhere <laughs> My buddy Matt from the For Real podcast, he had a Canadian goose as a pet. Uh, they lived on a farm for a while. Wow. And uh, <laughs> that thing was so fucking mean, except to him, which <laughs> I feel like that was kind of should have been a warning to all of us. Like, we should not be friends with this man. <laughs> <laughs> well, when when we moved here, the park that the geese stay at is, is not very far from my house. So... We started feeding them on our walks with Jack as soon as we moved here. And now it's got to the point where when we enter the park and they see his bright orange pram, they'll all start like flocking towards us. Um, and I like to sing the Imperial March when they do because geese are <laughs> evil and they look a bit like an army of stormtroopers. 
my family and I went to the zoo in mid late July, early July, mm. maybe early August. I don't remember. Uh, it was relatively recently and they have a bunch of geese out there. They're pretty much domesticated because they're used to people feeding them. So they won't attack people. They'll get a little territorial with the other geese, but whenever they see people, you can just see them salivating, which if you've never seen a goose salivate, it is really gross and concerning. <laughs> it sounds awful. <laughs> and my wife, Ricky, she was the one doling out snacks when we were taking a snack break. And I have a picture of her just being completely surrounded by four <laughs> or five geese, just waiting for her to throw her a snack. And then when it was time for us to start packing up, we were, uh, we were surrounded by a few more. So I took a few of the baby's uh, teething wafers and just like chucked them across the park as far as I could, since they, they you know, they're lighter than air. So they kind of just flutter away and uh, we just made a break for it. Yeah. The geese, geese are just horrible bastards that I don't think anything more needs to be said. They're the scourge. <laughs> <laughs> I bet this isn't where you thought an episode about Ted Lasso would have started. Oh no, this is dad pod. We're talking about family stuff right now. Oh, Hashtag sweet. dad pod. <laughs> Hashtag dad pod. We do it like the only thing I know, um, it seems to be a thing more on American TV, the limited American TV I watch, where if it's reality TV shows and they really want to spark conversation, the host will just look down the camera and say, Hashtag and then whatever it is. And and the one that sticks to me is RuPaul. And whenever RuPaul says anything down the camera, it's always got a hashtag in front of it. So I think every time we say hashtag, I think hashtag dad pod is, uh, is, <laughs> should be the jingle. <laughs> yeah, I, I do it more tongue in cheek because I still think hashtags are kind of dumb, but I get mm. what the point of them is, especially with early on Twitter. I would argue that, um, that, that we found each other through hashtag pod nation, hashtag pod something pattern family or something like Pod, that yeah something like that so they're not too dumb josh they connect it's true people. they they do connect people and i just <laughs> remember the first time i really started noticing hashtags as like a trend i didn't join twitter until i started the podcast really and uh i remember there's an episode of how i met your mother where barney's just hashtag burn hashtag i'm cool all that sort of stuff and i'm just like yeah that's a good commentary on why hashtags are dumb <laughs> how do you feel about uh sharing pictures of family on social media because this is so this is a question i've spoken about with my wife more than once and before jack was born we made a real conscious decision that the amount of pictures of him on social media would be extremely limited because like he has no say he's too young to say, I don't want that picture online and I don't want 10 years down the line. Cause what's so when it's on the internet, it's there forever. Right. I don't want someone 10 years down the line saying, I found this picture of you as a baby and him being mortified. <laughs> like how, how do you feel about pictures of family on, on social media? I'm not opposed to the idea. I do think there needs to be a limit. Like you don't want, you don't want those pictures of them in the tub, which I mean, I've, yeah, I've posted yeah, pictures yeah. of our first kid in the tub, um, but you, you don't really want those all over Facebook and wherever else. Mm. Cause you don't, even if with a protected account, you don't know who is looking at them. Yeah. And I, I don't there think it's a lot of, a lot of scary people out there, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there are. I, I don't think it's something where you 
you should maybe be overprotective of only posting like staged pictures or mm. event pictures. You can do little things like one of my favorite professional podcasters, Mr. Sunday, he'll post pictures of his family every now and then, but he'll always like put an emoji over the kid's face. Right. Just to kind of protect them a little bit more. Cause then yeah, again, yeah. like you said, in, in five, 10 years time, no one's going to be able to see that picture and be like, Oh, that's you. Mm. Yeah, true. That's fair enough. But then I feel like, um, I mean, my, my wife is the bit of the exception here in that she loves to print photos. Still, we have so many photo albums and even my mum's like, that's what the clouds for. But, um, I feel like a lot of people use like Instagram as their photo albums. And if all of your photos of your kids have a emoji over the top of them, I don't know. I, but yeah, I don't know. Weird tangent, but I just kind of wanted to get your steer on it. Yeah. I, I don't think using Instagram or social media as your photo album is, is the best <laughs> idea. I, no. I do believe in at least doing external hard drives or thumb drives or something like this is, mm. this is our thumb drive with our trip to Disneyland. And this is our thumb drive with, our trip to Norway and all that sort of stuff. You're so modern, Josh. <laughs> yeah, you got to have it. And you got to have a computer for every different event, too. Like this is our <laughs> birthday computer and this is our. <laughs> and you have three garages all just full of different laptops that are labeled <laughs> trip to Disneyland. And... Exactly. <laughs> that seems really uh, resourceful and really good for the environment. Exactly. The environment will thank you for it. <laughs> All that lithium ion just mm. sitting in the middle of your musty garage. Perfect. Yeah. Love it. <laughs> uh, so you said Jack's turning one this year. How's that feeling for you? Well, he's turning one tomorrow. Tomorrow. Um, I should, yeah. Obviously the, this year. This but. year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, um, I was talking to my, my mum earlier and it feels like it's been, uh, it, it, well, she was like, it feels like no time at all since he was born. And I was like, no, no, it feels like a very long time since he was born. It feels like I can't really remember what it feels like not to have a son, which is a bit ridiculous. I'm So for context, I'm 31 now. Um, and so for 30 years of my life, I didn't have a child. And for one, I have. And it feels like this one, because we're in it now, and that's how it is, um, feels like the one that, that feels like it's gone on for the longest. And I think when, when you say like it's gone on for the longest, people have this negative connotation that you haven't enjoyed it. But I, I don't even really want to think about a time that we haven't, didn't have Jack. Like he, he brings out so much joy and happiness just by being around and just by crawling around and, and smacking his hands on stuff and using everything as a drum or, you know, crying, laughing because you're copying what he's doing. Um, I had a moment at dinner today where we were eating and I was just copying him and he was just cr falling about with laughter. And I said, what am I going to do when copying you doesn't make you laugh anymore? <laughs> um, and I realized I'm going to have to get a lot more creative. So yeah, being a dad is incredible. Um, it's not easy. You know, as well as I do, it's not easy. Culturally, I think between the UK and the US, there's probably a lot more differences than, than I think people realize when you have kids and, and the things that you think about, the things you have to consider and the things you worry about. But, um, you know, he's worth every second of that worry. He, he is 
absolutely everything to me and my wife and I think he knows it because he's got us wrapped around his little fingers. Oh, yeah, they, <laughs> um, they know that really early. Yeah, they do. How about you, Josh? How do you find... I mean, you have three kids, right? Yes. Uh, seven, four, and 11 months at this point. <laughs> nice. So good spread there. How, how are you finding dad life with like between seven and 11 months is it quite a big gap. How do you find it? It is very rewarding, but it's also so taxing. Like you were saying, uh, my seven-year-old, we, we've got her in gymnastics. We've got her in dancing. Not at the same time. We've, we've bounced between the two. We're thinking <laughs> about putting her into like cross country running. We're trying mm. to find that thing that really sparks her. Like she loves to move, which is why we did dancing and gymnastics, but she's also really timid. So like gymnastics is not her, necessarily her uh, thing. Okay. Like she's always thinking where one of my, my nieces, she went into gymnastics and my dad always loved to say that she had no fear, which is why she excelled so well at gymnastics is because she had no problem with landing on her head or landing on her <laughs> face by overextending where, where my oldest, she's just sitting there like, um, if I don't put my hand in the right spot, it's going to slip and I'm going to fall. And, and I'm like, you're seven, you're, you're going to get scrapes. Just don't worry about it. <laughs> I think there's differences, scrapes and landing on your face though. I think I'd, <laughs> I'm siding with your daughter on this one, Josh. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> uh, and then the four-year-old, she just wants to do everything her big sister is doing, but she's also a lot more laid back where the, the seven-year-old, she wants to, she's always asking like, is is this cool? Is this cool? Was that good? Was that? And I'm like, yeah, you did it. So therefore it is amazing. But the four-year-old, she, she really could not care less. She's sitting there (laughs) uh, coloring and she's like, look what I did. Awesome. That's great. I know. And then she just goes right back to it and keeps making it. (laughs) I think, I think you hit the nail on the head when you said like, you did it. Of course it's cool. I think like, I don't know. It's a feeling I never understood before I became a dad. Like everything Jack does fills me with pride. And you probably feel exactly the same. I have a friend who his partner is 35 weeks pregnant. And I am so excited for that moment where the baby's born and he gets to hold her for the first time because... I, I've never had a feeling like it. And I it, I think it's indescribable, like genuinely indescribable when you first hold your child um, for a lot of reasons. One, you're safe and they're safe and you're glad they're there. And two, you're like, fuck, you're going to cost a lot of money. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, seriously, like on a serious note, yeah, I'm, I'm just, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm excited for my, I'm the first one in my friend group. Well, second but first of my close friend group that has had a child and and they're all starting now to to have those kids and and their kids I should say their kids not those kids um <laughs> but I just like I'm really excited to for them to do it and and to be able to share that that those stories with them and be like yeah I, I absolutely know what you're talking about because there's not a lot of things I can say I know what I'm talking about <laughs> same i'm right there with you that that moment when the baby is born even, even just the first time you see them i remember when my oldest was born they they put her on my my wife's chest and 
she just looked up at my wife and I know she's seconds into the world. Like she has no real idea of what's happening in the world, but she looked up at her, the baby looked up at my wife and the look on her face was just kind of like a, Hey, I know you. Mm. And and like your heart just melts and you connect it. It's like when you name an animal, you just, it's yours. You've named it. It's yours. You're, you're not putting it anywhere else, but in your home. (laughs) And when you see that, that baby for the first time, it goes nowhere else, but directly into your heart. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, indescribable sounds insane to anyone who doesn't know the feeling. And speaking of indescribable, loving feelings in your heart. Let's talk a little bit about Ted Lasso before we we wrap up hashtag dad pod. What a segue. Well done. (laughs) That that was off the cuff. I'm not going to lie, but I I heard it when I said it and I was like, that's good. I'm going with it. Nice. That's why you're paid the big bucks. (laughs) I wish. Sorry, I interrupted your perfect segue and ruined everything you worked towards. <laughs> and you just had to compliment me and stroke that ego. I did, yeah. I did. That's why you'd really not got your webcam on, because your head won't fit in there anymore <laughs> after all these compliments. It's true. <laughs> so Ted Lasso debuted in, I believe, was it the summer of 2020? I believe so. I don't have the, the premiere date here, uh, but I believe it was like, August or July 20. Nope. Here we go. August 14th, 2020. God, what a breath of fresh air. The show was, Mm. I, I cannot describe. I started watching it when they had released the first eight episodes. So I had like two episodes still that they were releasing throughout their schedule. And I, I watched all eight of those episodes. I think like twice in one in the first day, and then I just watched it daily until the ninth episode came out. It was just like so dang good. I uh, I didn't. I um, So I'm not a huge fan. And there are some exceptions. I'm not a huge fan of American comedies. I don't know if the comedy travels particularly well. But I quite prefer a more dry and miserable sense of humor, as I am British. Um, but... Ted Lasso was recommended to me by a few people. My mum was one, and she has a pretty good sense of what's good on TV. But then the one that got me, I was walking to a football match or a soccer match for your American listeners. Um, and he was like, you need to watch Ted Lasso. And I was like, "It, it, I don't know. The trailers make it look like this cheesy comedy. And it's so heartwarming. And I just love Ted. And I wish he was... Um, here so I could hug him right now. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. It's so well portrayed. And the fact that it came from just these really, I mean, they were, they were funny at the time, but these uh, premier league promotions that they were doing from uh, NBC in America and the U S for trying to create a U.S. audience for the premier league where they just had this, American football coach trying to teach soccer slash European football, global football. You can call it soccer. I won't, I won't be offended. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's going to just be soccer because I'm trying here, but it's so hard to differentiate the two when you're talking about it. No, no problem. But yeah, yeah, these like 30 to 60 second promotions about a guy who knows nothing about soccer 
which yeah funny because the the u.s does not care about soccer turns in (laughs) years later into this amazing emmy award-winning show Mm. just it's it's completely baffling and uh if you go back and watch those those shorts uh brendan hunt who plays coach beard he he is in those ads too. Like he, he doesn't say anything, which is kind of the joke that carries over into the show is he's much more soft spoken or he's, you know, he chooses his words carefully. And J- uh, Jason Sudeikis as Ted Lasso is the, the boisterous vocal coach. It, it just, it's insane that it's, it's as good as it is, which I mean, that that's credit to Bill Lawrence who created scrubs and spin city and, uh, you know, he's, he's just a, a fantastic showrunner, and he's in his involvement with this just again, makes it perfect, perfect. And like Zach Braff, uh, from scrubs has directed a handful of episodes and oh, it just, that. yeah, he, I think he directed the second episode, uh, okay. for season one, uh, or, yeah, season one, then a few others. Um, <laughs> and then just the cast as well. And you, you had mentioned a few things before we recorded, uh, but you want to go into some of the like the touches that they've done to make this feel a bit more authentic? Yeah, so I think um, I, well, you hit the nail on the head that America does not care about soccer, <laughs> and I think that that there is a I'm sorry to say it, Josh. There's a bit of an anti-American bias in when it comes to soccer, and particularly in the Premier League. So there was a football coach or I, I might slip into calling the manager because that's the terminology is normally used here. Um, the manager of the club um, when Swansea City were in the Premier League was called Bob Bradley and there were so many TV shows that just satirized Bob Bradley as this well as basically as Ted Lasso as a completely clueless guy who is over here to make some money, but doesn't know what football is, doesn't understand the rules, doesn't understand the culture of it. And that happened again when... So so Bob, Bob Bradley didn't last very long. Um, as the coach, I think he lasted about seven or eight games and he was fired by Swansea City, which is, you know, on a, on a poor run of, run of games, it's very normal in soccer to be have your manager be sacked. But when Leeds United uh, last year... And Leeds, Leeds are a big football club, like really big football club, should be in the Premier League. Um, my personal feelings on them aside, like the city of Leeds and a lot of English cities will um, thrive or uh, not based on the success of, of a Premier League football club. And it's a really interesting um thing to, to happen there's a bunch of documentaries and i'll sorry i'll get back onto my point in a second but there's a bunch <laughs> of documentaries like um i spoke about one on video game club called sunderland till i die and i don't know if it's available on on american netflix because it's it's very um contextual to 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 the uk but watching the city of sunderland face back-to-back relegations within football from the premier league down to league one you can see how economically that absolutely hits um, hits the city of Sunderland so hard. But Leeds had kind of, they had gone to League One. They used to be one of the biggest in the world. They went down and down due to poor financial management. And 
two years ago, they came up to the Premier League again. And everyone was saying, oh, yeah, no, they deserve to be here. They're a one-club city. And they fired their quite popular manager, uh, Marcelo Bielsa, who is like a bit of a legend in the game. And then they hired him with uh, an American coach who'd been working in Germany to a really high standard called Jesse Marsh. And almost immediately, without any kind of chance to prove how good he is as a manager, the jokes of he's just Ted Lasso. And I'll be in conversation with people. And when they talk about Leeds United, they won't talk about Jesse Marsh. They'll talk about them being managed by Ted Lasso. And I just, I think it's, um, it's a really strange thing that happens in English football, that the second you get someone from the U S come in, they are, they are uh, perceived immediately as, as set to fail because soccer isn't important there. (laughs) And it's it's the most popular sport in the world. Um, I say popular, I don't say biggest, but it is the most popular sport in the world. If you go like um, by population, people that watch it, watch the World Cup, watch their local, um, their national leagues, and it just doesn't seem to have hit America. And and I don't understand. There's a lot of reasons I think why, but. Um, I think that that anti-American bias, going back to my original point, that anti-American bias in the Premier League is is covered really well in Ted Lasso because the first time when he gets hired by AFC Richmond, which is the club that we follow, they show him doing a dance in the locker room with his American football team when they've won. And almost immediately, the pundits on that news show are taking the piss out of him. Um, And that kind of is something that, that goes throughout, no matter how successful Ted is, the people around the club and the supporters of the club refer to him affectionately or otherwise as wanker. Uh, The thing Ted Lasso does really well is captures culture of football. Um, And I think it does this um, through incorporating so many people from football within it. So, um, and Josh, please stop me at any time. I feel like I've been speaking a lot here. I've kind of making sure that you're still in the room. I'm loving, I'm loving all of this because it's it's just good backstory for, or backfiller for uh, context in the Ted Lasso. Um, I did want to say that your the Sunderland Till I Die is on American Netflix as well. Okay. And then really quickly, I did want to touch on you mentioned that uh, whenever there's an American manager brought in to coach in the premier league or manage in the premier league. Uh, it's almost like you're setting up the team to fail, yeah. which that, that was like after episode one of Ted Lasso, I was like, Oh, this is major league. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the, the eighties comedy with Charlie Sheen. Uh, but no. they, it, it was, uh, basically, uh, a, an owner of a baseball team, which in that, and that time is, uh, the Cleveland Indians, uh, she's trying to move the team down to Florida. So she's going to make them just the worst team ever. She's getting the worst players. She's getting players that have like no major league baseball experience. And she's just going to make the team tank. And yeah. then once, once no one's coming to the stadium, she's going to move them down to Florida, get rid of everyone and just start over. But the team does well, despite her trying to sabotage it. And I was like, okay, this is Ted Lasso or that that's Ted Lasso's major league, but with a twist, it's a, an American going to coach in the European soccer league. And it was so much more like you, that's what the, the flavor you'll get from that first episode, but it becomes so much bigger and better. Yeah, I agree. Um, Josh, just as a really quick thing, I don't know if it's your hotel Wi-Fi, but you're sounding a little bit like a Dalek 
at the moment. Um, uh, I hope it's just the connection. <laughs> well, if not, it's um, Ted uh, Ted Lasso featuring. I don't know. I was going to come up with a name for a Dalek, but I, I'm not that inventive. <laughs> There's one in Birmingham uh, where I live um, called Derek the Dalek. So there you go, um, Derek the Dalek. It is. Um, <laughs> and and sorry, going back to the people that are on Ted Lasso. So they um, they one of the most popular ways that people follow multiple games at once is uh, Soccer Saturday on Sky Sports, and. They have the pundits from Soccer Saturday, um, Jeff Stelling and Chris Kamara, appear alongside Roy Kent in some of the episodes. They have ex-Premier League players, um, now pundits like Thierry Henry. That really weird episode where Coach Beard is... um, It's basically follows Coach Beard round on a night where all kind of awful things happen. Um, But he ends up talking to the pundits on his TV and they talk back. That's Thierry Henry and Gary Lineker. They're actual pundits, um, but ex-players and like some of the best in the world at the time. But my favourite cameo is um, Mike Dean, who's an ex-Premier League referee. And when it came out, he was a current Premier League referee. And when Richmond get to a cup final, um, Mike Dean gets absolutely slated by one of the players. Uh, uh, sorry, no, by the one of the coaches. And yeah, Nate calls calls him like a pencil dick or something. Yeah, so he he comes over and and Ted apologizes and Mike Dean says, "Oh, it's not the worst I've heard." And <laughs> it's because Mike Dean is like synonymous with being over the top and being wanting rather than officiating a game, he wants to be the center of attention in that game. So, um he has a really big reputation as you know, getting slated by fans because he wants to be the center of attention. Um, so I just thought it was really funny and really clever of the people at Apple because this could easily become, if you if you sold it as like a dramatized thing, I think, um, sorry, just a, a, just a, a dramatized comedy of, of a football club, I think it's very easy for it to almost become forgettable before it's even started, right? But they use... Um, actual football clubs as well. And there's something... I listen to a, a podcast that I think 99% of people will find incredibly boring, but I find it so exciting. Is it called Talking Smack? It's not called Talking Smack. I think that's <laughs> flipped. 99 people will bloody love it. But um, it's called The Price of Football, and it's it's hosted by a guy whose whole job is to follow finances of football and how football clubs get around financial rules and bend the rules and creatively hire creative accountants to be a little bit dodgy but still fit within the rules of what they call financial fair play which is the 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 financial side of football there's a whole thing in one of their episodes where being on Ted Lasso is such a a big draw for them because they get international viewers that don't know that these clubs are genuine clubs and in the first series the, the first match they play is crystal palace and crystal palace is a, is a real premier league club it's actually whenever they use the crowd and the live games afc richmond stadium is actually selhurst park where crystal palace play and crystal palace got a massive payout from apple tv in order for them to use selhurst park for ted lasso with season two, you saw a massive increase in the amount of teams that wanted to be a part of it because Apple TV have so much money. Apple are willing to pay people to make it seem more genuine. So T- 
teams like Forest, uh, teams like Millwall, teams like Burnley were all involved in Ted Lasso, and they didn't mind being the villains either. Manchester City is a really interesting one in there, and I'll come on to why they're really interesting that they're they're a big part of the end of Series 1. But also West Ham United are another huge Premier League football team, and they almost are portrayed or, or are being set up for being the villains in Series 3 when that drops. I just I think it's really interesting how much this comedy show about a guy who doesn't know football is influencing the game so much here through through its financial benefit of of including these clubs. Yeah, and they, in season two, they also mentioned that Ryan Reynolds and a, a group of his friends bought a club out there as well, which yeah. happened in real life. And uh, the, the AFC Richmond uh, Twitter account got into a Twitter war with that club too, which was great. Yeah. And then uh, AFC Wrexham is a, uh, is that club. And I, I think uh, the, the Ted Lasso production team sent Wrexham a bunch of the biscuits that Ted makes for Rebecca, <laughs> which, which apparently for episode one, at least those biscuits were absolutely disgusting. And <laughs> Hannah Waddingham who plays Rebecca, she, she says that that was her, the greatest acting she's ever done in her life was selling how delicious they are. <laughs> that's really funny. I didn't know that. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. But just as a quick side note, that Wrexham takeover, there's another documentary coming out on Fox called We Are Wrexham or Welcome to Wrexham. I can't remember exactly what it is. And I, I haven't seen it yet. I don't think it's out at time of recording, but it, it looks brilliant. Um I don't know. I think it might be because I'm mad about football, soccer. Sorry, Josh. Um, <laughs> I think I'm I'm really excited for that kind of thing. And and I think that the genuine desire of Ted Lasso to kind of stick to a semi-realistic stance on, on what football is, and like I said more than once, the culture around football, that's what kind of keeps me drawn in to Ted Lasso. Speaking of your fandom of football... We have three super fans that show up regularly in this series. Uh, you have Baz, Jeremy, and Paul. Baz is like the the ratty looking one. Jeremy's the like overzealous one, and then Paul's the really sweet guy. Uh, of your football madness, which one would you say you relate to more? <laughs> uh, I think uh, all three rolled into <laughs> one. Um, see, I think with 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 soccer, you get you get a type of fan. So over here, there's something that people know as like a Stone Island fan. And this is someone, there's a brand, I don't know if it's in America, called Stone Island, and it's become synonymous with people who travel to football games just to start a fight. Like, have you ever seen um, Green Street with Elijah Wood? No. So Green Street is a whole film about football hooliganism. Um, and Elijah Wood comes over to England. He plays an American guy. Um, and he joins uh, what they call the ultras, which are the ultra fans of West Ham. Um, and it, it basically follows how they live, for, one, for their team to win, but two, for the fights with the other ultras after the game. And football hooliganism was such a big thing, not just in England, but on an international scale, that English fans were banned from a lot of tournaments in the 80s and the 90s because they just knew that they would start trouble so one of the 
stereotypes of a football fan because of that is that they're just there to make trouble and to start fights. And I don't know if that's captured in, in Ted Lasso because it doesn't tend to happen very often um, now, but but that's one. Um, I think uh, then I'm, I, I don't know, maybe I'm just more of a miserable football fan because my team wins some and then loses lots. So I don't know if any of Baz, Jeremy or Paul are, are like pessimistic and misers when it comes to the game. Um, but whoever that is, I'm, I'm that one. I don't think they ever really come across as pessimistic. They always seem very go get them on, on a do. When is football played? Is it Saturdays or Sundays? It, it depends. Is it well? While we're talking, Josh, and and sorry for my professionalism here, my team <laughs> has just finished a game. They've just beat Bolton Wanderers four one, um, and that's literally just finished. Yesterday there was Manchester United versus Liverpool. Um, Football matches on TV make a lot of money, and people have realized this. So you can basically watch football any any day of the week. I've been curious about it because the way uh, they talk about their schedule on Ted Lasso, I'm, I'm curious because obviously American football is played once per week, but it can be Sunday, Monday, Thursday, occasionally Saturday yeah. for a professional. So I, I've just been curious what their schedule is like with that. The schedule will be um, so you have a league um, in like Ted Lasso. The first season, it's the Premier League. First major spoiler, um, second series, that's the championship, and the championship is the league below the Premier League. Now, I don't know if there's many American sports that include relegation from the league that you're in if you perform really badly that season. I know, like the NFL doesn't. Especially, I don't think there's any. Yeah, so so that's one of the things that. Um, sculpts how English football is and and how not just English football actually um lots and lots of of uh, countries leagues you obviously get paid more to appear in the top division of your country's league so that's why you see takeovers of clubs in lower leagues go for like Recently, there was one, uh, Derby County got relegated to League One, which confusingly is the third division of English football. (laughs) And the guy who bought Derby County bought them for, I think it was, he bought the club for 60 million. And this is where it gets really confusing. He bought the club for 60 million and he bought the ground for 50 million. So for a combined 110 million pounds, he now owns the ground and the club, Derby County. Now, Derby County for appearing in League One will receive something like eighteen million pounds, and that's that's before any bonuses for for appearing on TV. But in League One, that doesn't happen very regularly. But but the league will pay you uh, eighteen or so million pounds just to appear in League One. So he has spent like six times the amount, nearly to to own a football club that isn't going to make that money but the reason he does it is because if his team perform well next year they'll be in the championship and you get more money for being in the championship and if they do really well in the championship you go to the premier league and if you're in the premier league you get something like 126 million pound a year just for appearing in it if you finish last you still get 126 million pounds once again Football is very important to me. I've gone off on a tangent here, Josh. But basically, the reason that it's every single night of the week is because if you... So say my club now 
Villa um, have just played in one of the cups, and that appeared on TV. Both Villa, who are in the Premier League, and Bolton, who are in League One, the third division, will receive probably a few million pounds from the broadcaster to to show it. So fixtures get moved all the time, and the, the most common nights for it are Friday, you get Saturday daytime, Sunday daytime, Monday, and then sometimes Tuesday. But then on Wednesday and Thursday, you have European competitions um, so there's always, always, always football going on. Okay. And it's it's interesting that you bring up the finances. There's a, a moment in season two where Higgins is talking with Rebecca about their their salary with the players and the staff and everything, where they're, they have a Premier, Premier League uh, staff, but they have a Championship League budget. And I thought that was going to become a bigger plot point in the season because that happened in like episode two or three of season two and it it just never really came up again it just it fell to the wayside which i thought was a little disappointing but they there was so much going on in season two i i can i i can explain to you why that never came up if you want to be i mean yeah it'll if it'll get that monkey i'm off, off my back here okay so when clubs are in the Premier League, because they get paid so much more, they're allowed to spend more on a budget. So like, I think in America, they have um, the wage cap, right? And that, that stops spending going out of control. That doesn't exist in England. So for example, Cristiano Ronaldo at Manchester United is quite famously on nearly half a million pounds a week to play or not play for Manchester United. On top of that, he's got bonuses, et cetera, et cetera. Because the money is so different in the championship to the Premier League, when you get when clubs get to the Premier League, they spend a fortune on player salaries, like an absolute fortune. Cristiano Ronaldo, that example, is is like the far extreme. But there's a club called Nottingham Forest who got promoted this year, and they've just that in the space of the summer they've bought sixteen new players, which is unheard of. And they're paying these players sort of five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten times the amount that they were paying their players last year. When this started happening, the league realised that, okay, that's all well and good for the clubs that stay in the Premier League, but for the three clubs that get relegated every year, they're going to receive much less money and therefore risk the club going out of business. So to protect them, they introduced something called parachute payments, So in the first year you get relegated from the Premier League to the Championship, you get £40 million more than a club that's already stayed in the Championship. In the second year, you get £20 million more. And for the third year, you get £10 million more. And that's so that you have time to sell those players, renegotiate those contracts and keep the club sustainable. Because otherwise, you just see clubs going out of business left, right and centre. So I think it's not said because it's boring and wordy but the reason that they would flag a premier league wage on a championship budget and not bring it back is because they have parachute payments to accommodate for that in the first year that they're relegated okay so okay that makes sense so there's one other thing that maybe as a as you say football mad uh fan could answer for me because from what i understand the kit man Uh, as played by Nick Muhammad throughout most of season one as Nathan Shelley. The kit man is essentially like 
the club's personal assistant. Like, yeah, he, he handles the equipment. He handles players, cleats, boots, whatever you want to call it, uh, sets up training practice. But he, from what I understand, the kit man is essentially like the best friend of the club and the players. Whereas in Ted Lasso, they, they treat Nathan like he's the, the school nerd essentially. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think so. It will depend on um, the the guys at Ted Lasso did a lot of research into the characters, and um, Nathan Shelley is an interesting example because I don't think I've seen any documentary or anything like that where the Kitman is portrayed as someone who is um, not friendly with the squad. I think it was done to basically show that he's not a player he's not one of the coaching staff and he's not expected to bring the tactical side to the game there's um a documentary called uh that that they did a few for american football teams you've probably heard of the all or nothing series that amazon do um and there's a whole section in the manchester city one where they talk about their kit man because he's really good friends with all the squad like every time they go to one of the squad players houses to interview them, there'd be like four or five times where the kit man is there hanging out as a friend. And depending on what the size of the club and the budget that they're working with. So Manchester City, the kit man, his job is solely to make sure that there is enough jerseys for the team, the boots are correct, the studs on the boots are the right size and things like that. Whereas smaller clubs and, and maybe championship level or lower premier league level clubs the the kit man may be expected to do things within training like set up the cones or i don't know um be more of that personal assistant role but i think nathan shelley is is quite an extreme example of <laughs> basically someone being put in their place by the squad <laughs> i think he hit the nail on the head like he he's shown as almost incompetent or um, socially inept because he he does have that tactical mind as well that leads him into becoming a coach. But but he, he also turns very quickly, and he seems to be the only one in season two who is intent on making the kit man feel the way that he felt at the start of series one. Um, everyone seems to be really nice with the new kit man when Nathan gets promoted to, to a coach. But Nathan is never, ever civil with him. He's always really mean and really short. And I think it was more trying to show Nathan's um, development or lack of development as a character rather than showing what the life of a poor kit man is at one of these clubs. Yeah, he's he's definitely on a power trip with the way he's treating. Um, oh, what's what's the new kid's name? Isaac? No, I that's that's the new coach he's, or the new captain. He's he he's not in it for very long, so I don't know if he'll, he'll will the front page of uh Yeah, uh, played uh, by maybe will <laughs> an unfortunate last name. Uh, Charlie Hiscock uh, plays Will, the new <laughs> kit man. Yeah, yeah. So I yeah I think it's a reflection on Nathan more than um more than uh the the Kitman. Yeah, and then also it, it sets up Jamie as like kind of a a villain kind of character for most of season 1, but then we see that that character development that is kind of inverse of what Nathan Nate's going through. So Jamie is um I I've said before on multiple occasions that villains to me are much more interesting than heroes. Um I don't think that's the case in Ted Lasso because I think 
Ted as the hero is is really interesting. Um, and I'll come on to why I think that more so here than anywhere else. But Jamie is an interesting person because when they came up with the character of Jamie Tart, he so he's like the self-assured, he's on loan from Manchester City, who are the biggest club in, in the Premier League. Sorry, the richest club in the Premier League. They're in an era where they're owned by a state and they spend money like there's no tomorrow. And Jamie Tart is only at Richmond so that he can get his space at, at um, Manchester City next season. But when they created him, there's an interview with, oh, I need to get his name. I can't remember the name of the guy. Uh, Phil Dunster. There's an interview with him of who they based the character on. And he's based on like an amalgamation of the biggest characters in the Premier League. So Cristiano Ronaldo is one, Mason Mount is another, and Jack Grealish is, is the third that he names. And the reason I say Jack Grealish like that is at the time Ted Lasso came out, Jack Grealish was the club captain of the team I support. So I had a massive affinity to him. The season after Ted Lasso came out, Manchester City bought Jack Grealish from Aston Villa for £100 million, which is a record for any British player. And the love that Villa fans had for Jack Grealish disappeared in an instant, and he became this <laughs> villain. He became, he became Jamie Tart. And there was loads of conversation in, in the club at real life, Villa, amongst fans, uh, and and you can only assume amongst the staff because when Villa played Manchester City, they did something that they'd never done before and they showed a highlights reel of Jack Grealish on their Twitter page, like, thank you for all the memories. And this split the fans down the middle. And when Jack Grealish came on the pitch as a sub, I've never heard 40,000 people boo as loud as they did at that moment. And there's a chant at Villa where you sing, I'm Villa till I die, I'm Villa till I die, I know I am, I'm sure I am, I'm Villa till I die. And that was sang every single time he was on the screen or every single time he ran to warm up down the touchline and when he came onto the pitch. And every time he touched the ball, he was booed by everyone. And it just made me think, how well they nailed on Jamie Tarr as as a dislikable character in season one. Um, I just thought it was really interesting. And and I guess I kind of had that closer um, affinity to Jamie Tarr as as someone who really, really was a fan of Jack Grealish at the time. That's really cool. Uh, I mean, obviously they're, they're drawing inspiration from some places, but I, I didn't realize that they were going as modern as they were. I figured Ronaldo was one of the inspirations at least for Jamie, but I, I didn't know that there was one that was like still active and highly, I didn't know he set a record for having his contract purchased. Well, if you search, um, I don't know if there's a good way for me to send it to you. If you search Jack Grealish um, and, and I don't mind sending you a picture, he looks exactly the same as Jamie Tart as well. They definitely copied him, his image and, and like the hairstyle and the way that he looks. And there's a point in season two where Jamie Tart sort of leaves Manchester City to be on Love Island. And Love, well, I can't remember exactly what they call it in the show, but it's basically a show called Love Island that I don't know if you have in America. It's basically where they throw a group of good looking people together and they have to try and not shag each other. Yeah, they, there's been a handful of shows like that. I remember I was in high school back in like 2002 and they were showing 
a show like this when the the reality TV boom really hit. And uh, I just remember complaining to my science teacher at the time. I was just like, this is just this is just a thirst trap, <laughs> essentially. The... But but Jack Grealish's style is is described as Love Island style. <laughs> OK, which I think is really funny that they, they made um, Jamie Tart do that. Um, yeah, I'm looking show. at I'm looking at pictures right now. He's even got Jamie Tart's headband, or Jamie Tart has his headband. Exactly, and and it, like it, if you if you see it, uh, audience list search Jack Grealish. Um, I wonder why there's a spike in Jack Grealish searches, but the headband, <laughs> the look, everything about him just screams Jamie Tart. Um, less so when he was in a Villa kit. Obviously, I'm going to like him more than he, when he was in a Man City kit. Let's talk a little bit about Brett Goldstein as Roy Kent. I feel like as as much as Ted is such an amazing character, Roy is probably everyone's favorite character in this show. Uh, yeah, he he's cool. <laughs> he's cool. He has the character development. He has the self awareness. He doesn't care. It just it all blends together so well. And Brett Goldstein was actually just brought on to be a writer for this show, and he fell in love with the characters. They were they were building their show bible and creating the the scripts that he reached out to Bill Lawrence and said, I want to audition for Roy Kent. And he ended up getting the role. <laughs> Roy Kent is what football fans would call a shit house. Um, it's a, an affectionate term that you use for players at your club that are there to wind up the other players and there to just, uh, I'm trying not to use football analogies here, but when you make <laughs> a tackle, they call it leaving the boot in. And it's sort of like, they make sure that you know that the opposition is there by by giving them a, a good smack when you walk past, um, but within the laws of the game, so you don't get sent off. And everyone at the club, everyone at their their football club, loves their shit house, and Roy Kent epitomizes it. He's actually based on uh, Roy Keane, and the name is not that that dissimilar. Um, I'm not going to go into Roy Keane too much. A lot of people will know him, a lot of people won't, but. Um, yeah, that they are quite similar. Yeah, I, I have the IMDb pulled up here. Um, Roy Kent is based off Irish footballer Roy Keane. Keane played Premier League from '92 to 2006 uh, for both Nottingham Forest and famously Man United. Uh, Roy, like Roy Kent, Keane was also team captain. Was famous for his temper and aggression, both on and off the field. Coach Beer describes Kent as a box-to-box midfielder, which is a description that was often used to describe Keane. So what is a box-to-box midfielder? <laughs> sure. So so in football on the pitch, you have uh, the, the, the pitch is broken up into two halves. You have the home half and the away half, and they swap at half times. The box is the penalty area, so the big square that your goal is in. And a box-to-box midfielder is is the player that links up the defensive line and the offensive line by basically when the ball is in your opposition's possession, they join the defensive line, so they run to their own box. And when it's in your possession, they join the offensive line, so they will go into the opposition's box. So it's literally the player that covers the most ground by going from box to box on the pitch. I had a feeling that's kind of what it meant, but I I don't know enough about soccer positions to know exactly what it means. Yeah, well, well, Roy Keane is um, an interesting one, so um, I'm not going to talk about him too much. Uh, he's a bit of a meme, but I never made the dots until we've just been saying it. 
he is a pundit on Sky Sports and he's miserable as a pundit. <laughs> he is um he so an example is um he so so if a team celebrated not getting relegated he would sit there in the studio and be like what are they celebrating for they only just not got relegated rather than like oh yeah no i can understand why they're really happy to be in the premier league next year he's like why are they celebrating they only just scraped through and and when roy kent is pundit on sky sports he is exactly the same he goes on about how he thinks players are having a shit game and Roy Kent's language in in Ted Lasso is is peak British Cockney language. Yeah, I I just I think that they nailed him as well. I I think to be honest, I keep saying these things. Ted Lasso nails it, um, and it's it's hard to describe it any other way. Definitely, it's it's just a show where they they clearly thought out what they wanted to do with these characters, and they put the research in, and they let the writers really flesh them out. They like the actors really give it their all and find the role too. And it just, it works like Keely and Rebecca's relationship. It, it, it feels authentic. Like that, that's the the main thing. And like what you're talking about where, uh, you know, they have Thierry Henry and they have all of these pundits for the, the national broadcast and they bring in referees and actual players. And it just blends that, blurs that line between fiction and reality where you have real players mixing with actors and just making this show that is great. And then like, as much as we're talking about soccer and slash football, it's, it isn't really about the sport. It's more about the relationships inside the building and it's about the people than anything. And that that's really where the show shines. I think it's really interesting when you look up Ted Lasso on on Google, as I did when I, I was thinking about getting into it, you get the obvious, like, this is the trailer, this is the IMDb page. But when you scroll down a little bit, it's like, what management techniques can you learn from Ted Lasso? And I was like, what? Um, and I think that you are absolutely right. It's about the people. It's about um, how you motivate someone. It's about exploring culture british culture i when i describe ted lasso to someone i never say it's well i say you follow a football club i don't ever say it's about a football club or about a football coach um and i think that that kind of um lends itself to some of its success because people that don't care about soccer aren't turned off by it yeah and that that speaks to the success that it's had with a a u.s audience as well i I haven't met anyone that has watched the show and said it's not for me I haven't either. Can I talk about something uh, that I think I think the big difference in season one and two is with Ted Lasso? The development of Ted as a character. I think if I had one criticism of Ted in season one is that he, as a character, is pretty one-dimensional. He's always positive. You understand why. But even when he's going through a divorce and is clearly quite sad about it, he puts up a facade of happy all the time and really positive. And that's his coping mechanism, but it's not explored very deeply in in season one. In season two, there's a point in a really big game, the biggest game in, in his club season that's being televised to the world, where Ted has a panic attack and he has to leave. And quite a big plot point of season two is the therapist um, played by... Uh, Sarah Niles, Dr. Sharon Fieldstone. 
Sarah Niles. Yeah, so Sarah Niles is fantastic um, and is a fantastic character. But what she does is she allows you to open up and understand why Ted puts up this facade. So I don't know if you want any kind of trigger warning, Josh, um, because the the reason that one of the big things Ted talks about in his therapy sessions is, is his father's suicide. Um, and he gets really pissed off with his dad during that session because he said he gave up and it's something that he never wants to do Ted never ever ever gives up and he resents his father because he sees him as having given up because he took his own life and I think that what that allowed you to do was stop seeing this guy that is overwhelmingly positive as it being his main character trait and opened up vulnerability. And I just think that all that did was elevate how relatable Ted is um, and how, like, there are vulnerabilities throughout the show. There's a lot of ups and downs as a part of the show. But I feel like Ted himself in season one, it was just pure ups. No matter the um, adversity he faced, it was just positive, positive, positive. And there's the point where the doctor goes into her office at night and Ted is there curled up on the sofa and he's just like, I need to talk. I need to talk to someone. And I think that that dropping a facade of positivity is really relatable to a lot of people, but also just made me think of Ted Lasso as a completely different show. I don't know if I... Like, it's funny, but I don't know if I would say at that point it's it was a comedy show. Um yeah, I don't know. What do you think? I, I agree with you almost 100%. I would say 95%. Uh, there are a few moments in season one where Ted, it, it you do see those vulnerabilities. Like uh, the they tease it a little bit at the end of the first episode where Ted's like texting with his wife across uh, over in the US. And that's where I was like, oh, okay, this is how this guy is interesting. Like there's something going on. There's something going on in his marriage. And then the show kind of, every now and then, like I think is like episode one, you get the first tease. And then uh, episode six in season one, you get the the reveal that his wife, he and his wife are having this issue uh, where we get the really great Oklahoma bit at the beginning. Uh, remind me what the Oklahoma bit is. Uh, Ted and his wife were doing couples therapy. And whenever someone said the word Oklahoma, they had to just be completely yes. honest. So he's talking with Rebecca and uh, he's, telling her about this and she goes, Oh, just like our morning chats. And he goes, Oklahoma. And she goes, I do not enjoy these. No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. But yeah, I, I don't know. I think that that elevated it a lot for me. Um, I love the show anyway. That's why I said, I think I, I love villains, but that's where I think Ted became a real, um, a three dimensional character. Yeah. Less, less of a caricature of a character. Um, for for me yeah and season two is such a, a different turn like i i was not expecting it to be that dramatic in season two but it is so good and i mean we're we're praising the show like there there are very few places where you can legitimately criticize the show i think uh unless someone comes out as as being a an abuser or something like there's 
there's not much you can really come out about this show and be like that. I don't like this unless it's not your taste, which is fine, but it's such a good show. Uh, I don't think it is fine. It's so good. I don't think it is fine. (laughs) Although I am going to, I am going to come back at you and say, there is one thing I really don't like about this show. There's not enough of it. Episode in season. No, it's the episode (laughs) in season two where they follow coach beard. Yes. And he goes on the, the all day, uh, sorry, all night drinking session with the three fans from the pub and everyone else i've spoken to said that this episode was fine i think it's a dip but i i actively sat there and thought why am i watching this episode it's not good and and i can't quite put my finger on why i think it's because it's so bizarre and like almost hallucinogenic in in places Mm -hmm. like where he's talking to the tv like the situation he's in where he's in being chased by a bodybuilder um, who thinks he's cheated. His wife has cheated with Coach Beard and he's wearing disco pants and he gets beat up by James. It, it, it's a bit like someone started with an idea and didn't have an end point. And I don't know if it's parodying something. I don't know if it's, if something in that episode has gone over my head, but I just didn't enjoy it at all. I, I do agree with you there. It's It's definitely the episode I skip because it feels like it doesn't, move anything forward like it gives us a little glimpse into beard but nothing really goes anywhere with it like beard is still beard uh he's still in his weird toxic relationship with the chess girl i can't remember her name uh jenny I think jenny that's is. right yes but yeah it, overall it it really doesn't accomplish anything other than uh, i i do like the moment where the the super fans get to baz and his friends get to have that moment on uh nelson road where they get to be on the pitch but other than that, yeah. there's there's not anything that really carries over and it, it doesn't no. really serve much of a purpose other than, again, like we needed a beard episode. So here's this weird, like almost drug trippy episode. Yeah, I just I didn't think it worked. But on the flip side and the, the, the much more difficult side, I think I wanted to ask you what your favorite episode of Ted Lasso is. That is a difficult, uh, difficult episode, a difficult question. Um, do you want do you want me to go while you think sure so i love the episode with the medical room and they think there's a curse on the medical room that if someone goes in there then they'll get injured um and ted kind of takes it upon himself to to do a ritual where the team will bond and they will throw something into a fire that means something to them to lift the curse of the medical room and they all say at the time, like they know it's nonsense. They know it's ridiculous and, and there isn't actually a curse, but it's superstition. And I think the reason I like that is because superstition is such a massive part of, of soccer and the game um, and, and people doing things completely out of their control so that their team will win is something you hear about a lot. Like this season, I'm not wearing an Aston Villa shirt when I go to the game because we never win when I wear a Villa shirt and I have no control over the team and we probably still won't win when I'm not wearing the Villa shirt, but um, we tend to do better or in my head, we tend to do better when I don't go with that shirt. And I think that superstition um, is, is great. And I wanted to tell you a story about Villa's closest rivals and when they had a particularly suspicious uh, superstitious, sorry, manager, and I wish I could remember his name, but he used to, at the start of a season, do a ritual so that their pitch was, in quote marks, blessed. Um, 
and it would involve burying something at each of the four corner flags on the pitch. And then before each game, before the crowd got there, he would go and urinate in every single one of the four corners. <laughs> and he did this before every single game. Um, and Birmingham City are terrible as a football team, and it didn't do anything for them. But he quite famously did this um, this ritual to increase their fortune. And I just thought it was really funny that... Um, they used it as a bonding exercise, but it's something I could absolutely believe happening in a, in a football club um, in in England. <laughs> so, yeah, that sounds great. Um, so, <laughs> so thinking on it, I think I'd have to go with the Christmas episode. Uh, it it yes. gives you all those good Ted Lasso feels, but it still has a little bit of drama to it. it yeah, it, it does what a Christmas episode should. Like, I think that may be the greatest sitcom Christmas episode ever. I agree. I agree completely. I was going to bring up the Christmas episode as a separate point to you, but no, I think the best Christmas episode. And the point where Ted and Rebecca are going door to door to uh, less fortunate families and saying like, oh, we intercepted your letter to Santa and I'm really sorry it's late. I don't know if I was like particularly tired or emotional at the time, but that really brought a tear to my eye. I don't know. I, I just thought it was really lovely. It, it, it is a great episode. And Rebecca just using her fortune for goodwill is always nice to see. Yeah. And quite the opposite of what her husband would do um, from the sounds of it. Yeah. And uh, I was going to say maybe maybe the, the funeral funeral episode would be another one to, to talk about because that's kind of the one where Rebecca learns to let go of her hate so she can move on and she can grow. Yeah. And you also get the, a little bit more with Sassy and Ted, which I, I like that dynamic. Yeah. Sassy's a great character. I don't think she's used enough. Um, well, no, sorry, that's not true. I think she's used the perfect amount for us to say, I don't think she's used enough, yes. but um, yeah, I think that that whole episode and, and kind of, the thing where you... She, so Rebecca resents her mum quite a lot throughout the second series because of her attitude towards uh, hers and her father's relationship. And there's a joke, or there's a, a, a kind of a throwaway line that Rebecca says in the middle of the first episode, her mum's there, where she says, they won't split up. This happens every few years. He'll just buy her a um, environmentally conscious... Uh, product and she'll go running back to him and then she goes back to the house and he's she opens a letter and it's from the mum and it says your dad bought me a tesla we're back together yep which i thought was quite funny um but the point where her mum says kill them with it i don't remember exactly how she says it but it's it's kill them with kindness and that's the first interaction between rebecca and what's her husband's name in the show rupert rupert that's the first interaction between them where Rebecca is like really trying to be civil and positive um, rather than doing it to save face. Uh, and and I, I don't know. I just, I think that's a really, really good development episode for Rebecca. Um, and also kudos to the, the, to Ted Lasso for squeezing quite so much uh, Rick Astley into a show <laughs> released in 2021. Yes. And I love the fact that Rebecca's mom did not realize that Rick Astley was white. Yeah. 
On a side note, have you seen the video? I don't know if it's a recent thing, but I only saw it in the last few days where Rick Astley has um, refilmed and recreated the video to Never Gonna Give You Up. I have and not. And he goes, he goes, it's 2022 and people are still talking about this. I just think it's really <laughs> funny. Sounds like the uh, kind of like the Lonely Island video with uh, Jack Sparrow and Michael Bolton. Yeah, yeah. No, it's good. I'll send it to you after the recording. After I've sang uh, um, West Side Story at you. <laughs> All right. Um, well, we're running a little long in this episode. So is there anything else that really stood out or that you had a note on? I mean, we could talk about the show for, we could make this like a five-part episode, but uh, people got things to do. Yeah. People you got, you got to get to do. bed. Um, I'm sure yourself included as well in that, Josh. Um, but no, there isn't anything extra. Just just go and watch Ted Lasso. Even if you don't care about soccer, um, football, it hurts my soul every time I say soccer. Um, <laughs> even if you don't care about football, watch Ted Lasso because it's it'll make you feel warm inside um, and it's wonderful. And yeah, I, I genuinely think it's probably up there with my favorite tv shows that i've ever seen oh actually no that's that's not true there is one thing i wanted to talk about sure jason sudeikis sorry can you tell me how i pronounce his surname because i've been saying sudeikis or sudeikis uh from what i understand it's supposed to be sudeikis so i've been wrong all hour and 20 minutes that we've been recording i don't think we've ever actually said his name Um, so oh cool well, shot myself in the foot there, Josh. Um, there's, there was a, a, um, a thing where I think Jason Sudeikis um, elevated his, his standing with British fans. And it was for something that wasn't part of the show. It was so, so he appeared on Stephen Colbert's show. Um, and I don't know if you've, you've seen this, but he appeared wearing a shirt that said, Jaden and Marcus and Bakayo. And the reason he did that was the night before England had just lost in the European final. And the European Cup to England is like it, it's to every club in uh, every country, sorry, in Europe, it's second to the World Cup. But England haven't won a major trophy, an international trophy for since 1966. And sorry, I should say in the men's game, um, England women's team are much better than the England men's team. Just putting that out there. Sounds but, like US uh, at the time of, yeah, basically. Um, but at the time of recording, England hadn't won any trophies since 1966. And there was a game at Wembley stadium. So on home turf where Italy took England uh, and played a one, one draw all the way through the 90 minutes of a football match. After 90 minutes, you get half an hour as extra time. And if you're still deadlocked in extra time, you go to penalties. And the penalty shootout is a one-on-one shootout between a player and a goalkeeper where you have to shoot from, I think it's 18 yards. Now, the three players that missed their penalties were Jaden Sancho, Marcus Rashford, and Bakayo Saka. And they are all black players, And there's something about the last sort of three or four years that racial abuse in football, particularly in the English game, 
is like rife on social media. And immediately after the European Cup final, I don't know so much about Jaden Sancho and Marcus Rashford, but Bakayo Saka is was an 18-year-old kid who missed the crucial penalty and received an immense amount of racial abuse on Twitter. And Jason Sudeikis put this shirt on purely so he could be asked to support black British players and say uh, and and really push how race is nothing to do with it. These are really important figures in their community. They are showing young black kids in America and sorry in England what they can do and what they can aspire to be. And that was one of the things that really pushed. Um, there's this this beautiful moment in um, another football documentary, All or Nothing Arsenal, where after the well, uh, sorry, the Euros final, Bakayo Saka goes on to uh, into the training ground, and there's about forty, fifty thousand letters of support to him, and it, he just is gobsmacked, and and. Jason Sudeikis brought this to an international an international stage by talking about it in America. And he talks about how Ted Lasso owes so much to the English game and he wants to bring equality to it too and to bring um, just that vision onto the, these three young men who you know, <laughs> took penalties and played football in front of millions of people on TV and it didn't work out and then wrongly received this horrific abuse. So apart from being a brilliant actor, an excellent writer, I think he directed a few as well of these uh, episodes. I might be wrong on that. No, he didn't. He didn't direct any. But Jason Sudeikis is just an all-round excellent guy. Like, what a thing to do to a country that, like we've said before, doesn't care about soccer. And to raise that awareness, I just thought he's, you know, what a thing to do. Um, yeah, and I wanted to bring more attention to it. Yeah, that and that's that's really awesome. And that actually reminded me, I, I did want to touch on his performance when he's uh, the the funeral episode where he's talking with the therapist before going to Rebecca Rebecca's dad dad's funeral. He's he's breaking down and he's having an attack, and uh, just the quivering in his voice, like I. I have dealt, I shouldn't say dealt with, I, I have been with someone who was going through an anxiety attack and was going through suicidal thoughts like that uh, as a a former coworker Mm. of mine. And they basically leaned on me as like a therapist while at work. And while it was really difficult on some days, I was happy to be there for them as someone to kind of prevent them from doing something really stupid. Uh, But the way Jason Sudeikis uh, emoted and the way he spoke through the pain and through the anxiety, it sounded just like this person I used to work with. And it it blew my mind. Like it it gave me flashbacks to those quote unquote therapy sessions that I would have with this person. Well, well done you for, for talking to that's not an easy thing to do. Um, Yeah. If, if you need to talk to someone this, yeah, I don't know. I don't know who's listening. Um, and I hope you don't mind me doing this, Josh. I, I don't know who's listening. If you need to talk to someone, talk to someone. Um, if you are having these thoughts or um, attacks, 
the worst thing you can do is bottle it up and the people around you love you and that's why they're around you um no one's ever a burden when they're in that that situation um and if someone tells you that you are then you're talking they're the wrong person definitely and yeah 100% if if someone is willing to give you an ear to listen to you you are not being a burden don't listen to that voice in your head and there are obviously professionals to speak with as well that can help you uh, which is one thing that Ted Lasso season two, especially really leans into. And I, I seriously cannot wait for season three. Uh, that's going to be happening. I think in October of this year, maybe November, they, they wrapped filming. So they're, they're just editing and getting everything ready to release. I don't know if there's an official date. I think they just said 2022. Yeah. There, there's no official date just yet, but it is going to be, I believe 12 episodes this season. And it is confirmed to be the final season as well. So I, Boo. as much as it stinks, I know that was their original plan. So I, I, I applaud them for sticking to the plan. I just, it's such a good show and I, I really hope they stick the landing. Me too. But sorry, Josh, I don't want to be pushing you like Slade does to be <laughs> your longest ever episode. Yeah, it's getting close to dinner time, So I, I got to get moving. Uh, as I said, I'm in Dallas. So I, I do have a couple of, uh, unfortunately, business meetings to get to. <laughs> well, I wouldn't want to hold you up from your business. Got a schmooze. But Joey, please tell us where we can find you on social media. Uh, don't bother finding me. I don't say anything interesting. But follow my podcast, Video Game Club. Uh, at time of recording, our latest episode is with the wonderful Josh. And we talked about Jedi Fallen Order. Uh, but we're a video game book club that releases episodes every two weeks. And I promise it's probably more lighthearted than I've, I've portrayed myself in, in this episode. <laughs> no, this is, this has been some really good stuff. We got some good dad talk and then we got some good Ted Lasso talk and I got a nice education on football. Well, well done. Thank you. <laughs> you can find me at Josh underscore scar. You can follow the podcast at talking smack pod at G. Nope. Sorry. What did I say? You can. I always <laughs> you do did this. this in the last. Episode. I don't know why I can't get this straight. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Talking Smack Pod. You can email us at tsmackpod at gmail and you can like, comment, review, and just enjoy the show. I love having people like Joey on, and uh, obviously I have my regular crew, but it's just so much fun to be able to connect with people all over the world and. Uh, just have fun talking about all this great stuff. So thanks to everyone listening. And uh, we do have merchandise now. Uh, I will have a link in the description to our spring tea store page. Uh, we have a really, really cool looking pride mug, which for every 20 we donate, we'll, uh, for every 20 that are purchased, we will donate $100 to the Trevor project, which is 100% profit from that mug. So for every 20 we sell, we're going to make like, $99 and some change and I'll make up the change and we'll donate a hundred dollars. Well done. And uh, obviously some other things, which all of that is minimal profit. I just, I like having the stuff and I, I like mugs among other things. So I think the, the regular mug gets a, a I think like a dollar and three cents profit. So like there's, there's not a lot of profit being made from any of these. So Joey, thank you again so much for being here. My pleasure and listen to Video Game Club. And thanks again, everyone, for listening. Take care. Watch Star Trek.
I, I thought you were going to burst into song when I said the Oklahoma bit, but um, <laughs> I have, not this time. I have honestly never seen Oklahoma, so I do not know any songs from Oklahoma. I haven't either. I just know it's a musical. Um, that's as far as my knowledge goes. Yep. When you said West Side Story, we'd be we'd be singing all episode. Yeah, but, tonight, uh... tonight. <laughs> I'll save it till after. I'll sing you um, my my version of um, uh, America uh, after after the recording. Sounds great. <laughs>